Hello, there we go. <laughs> Good morning. Glad to have everybody with us this morning. We got a lot of folks uh, here in the building to worship with us today. We got a lot of folks that are joining us online as well. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for choosing to be here. A um, couple things, if you haven't been with us before, I know we have um, some guests with us today. And if you have never been a part of our church family's uh, worship service, or if you haven't been here since we've made some adjustments, just so you know, um, you need to keep your mask on the whole time during worship today, even when we're singing and stuff like that. We appreciate your help with that. And then also try to keep about three chairs between you and a different family. Uh, we'll try to distance ourselves a little bit that way uh, if we can. Also, we will be taking communion together today. So at a certain time, we'll have some thoughts and some prayers about, uh, you know, focusing on, on, on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And you should have a communion cup in your chair. And this is both your bread and your juice. So you peel off the first lid, that's the bread, and you peel off the second lid, and that's the juice. And you'll take that at that time uh, later on this morning during our worship. Again, so glad that you're here today. It's a beautiful day outside. It's going to be an awesome morning together this morning. We're going to be singing praises together. We're going to be uh, praying together. We're going to be spending time with the Word together. And I'm so glad that you chose to join us today. Uh, this is a little bit of a, of a special occasion for us this morning. For, I guess, the public schools, maybe even the private schools, I, I don't know exactly when all the different schools start, but I know for the, at least the public schools uh, in our area, first day of school is tomorrow. And so kind of a, yeah, <laughs> there's, there are some cheers from some parents there, like, yay, um, except for the ones they're doing virtually, you're like, oh, oh, oh. all right. So uh, one of the traditions that has been a part of our church family since the beginning is that we... Um, at the beginning of every school year, we hand out Bibles to our first graders. First grade is when kids really start learning even more about how to read. And our church family feels like what better way to get into reading than reading God's word. And so we want to help plant that word in their hearts uh, at this young age. And so we've, we've made a tradition to give all of our incoming first graders uh, Bibles at the beginning of the school year. So we're going to do that today. Um, and so here's how this is going to work. Uh, I'm going to read off all the names of our first graders. And any of our first graders that are here in the crowd, when you hear your name called, you come up to the front. Miss Christie is going to hand you your Bible. And then you're going to come up, whichever side you're on, you're going to come up the stairs onto the stage. And we'll kind of spread out a little bit, make sure that, that y'all aren't right next to each other. And just stand on the stage. You don't have to do anything. You just stand there and look awesome. That's pretty easy for you first graders. <clears throat> and then uh, when they're all up here, one of our shepherds, uh, Monty Morton, is going to come up and lead a prayer, not just for our first graders, but for all of our students that are going to be going back to school, all of our uh, school staff that we have as part of our church family as well. So uh, we appreciate you giving us uh, not only some patience, but, but being here to celebrate these first graders and all of our students um, together this morning. Okay. All right. So here we go. Grayson Bales, who's the son of Brandon and Lori Bales. Don't know if he's here this morning. Okay. Carrington Bonner, the daughter of Chad and Misty Bonner. By the way, I forgot to say while she's walking up here, any parents that want to move towards the front with your phones and your cameras, you're welcome to do that too. Carly Campbell, the daughter of James and Candace Campbell. Right there. Perfect. Right there. Uh, Dean Dickey, the son of David and Jenna Dickey. <laughs> Owen Hall, the son of Heather Berry. <laughs> Miller Heffron, the son of Josh and Lindsay Heffron. 
Josie McKenzie, the daughter of Sheldon and Bethany McKenzie. Here she comes. Caleb McReynolds, the son of Scott and Stephanie McReynolds. And Noah Savage, the son of Scott and Cheryl Savage. So that is all of our first graders. Again, any parents who want to take some pictures, come on down. Feel free to, y'all smile under your mask, okay? So we can see. <laughs> Monty, if you want to go ahead and be coming on up, that'd be great. <laughs> Isn't it awesome to have a church family that honors our kids and loves them and, and wants to get them started on, the, on their right relationship with God. Isn't that great? So let's give these first graders a hand one more time. And then why don't y'all go ahead and go sit down while Mr. Monty comes up and leads us in prayer. Great job, guys. Thank you. Bow with me, please. Holy Father, we come to you now, and we just uh, thank you that we have the opportunity to come together here this morning. And Father, we thank you for providing for us and blessing us as you have. And Father, at this time, we uh, want to bring a, a special request to you to be with all of our, our families with kids and all the kids that are going back to school. And Father, we just ask that you'll bless all of these folks and help them as they uh, transition back into school. And, and we... Uh, just ask a special um, request that you keep them them all safe and healthy during this transition back. And Father, we ask that you'll um, not only be with the, the kids returning here, but you be with all of our college students and help them as they transition to their um, less than normal living environments on campuses. And Father, just help them as they try to get settled in. We ask that you'll, you'll bless each one of them and, and help them uh, Still enjoy the school year, even though it's a, a little bit different. And Father, we ask also that you'll be with all of our teachers, that you'll, you'll help them, uh, give them patience, and, and Father, keep them safe and healthy as well. Father, we, we just ask you'll be with uh, our church family here. We know there are some that are having some health issues and, and just uh, uh, shut-in issues related to the, the virus. And Father, we... Uh, we know you are in charge of all things, and we just ask that you will be with each one of them and help them through this time and, and uh, give them your comfort and your, um, your peace. And, Father, we ask you'll be with us as we go through our worship service this morning. Father, we just uh, pray that everything we do here glorifies you and that you are lifted up by, by our praise. And, Father, we thank you so much for sending us your son. We thank you for all that you do. We come to you in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, Flagstone. All right, everybody, it's time to get on your feet. We'll start our praise this morning. Blessing and honor, glory and power, be to the ancient of days. From every nation, all of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship. 
worship you, be exalted, O God, and your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient of days. Blessing and honor, glory and power, be to the ancient of days. From every nation, all of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship you will be exalted, O God. And your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient of days. Your kingdom shall reign over all the earth. Sing to the ancient of days, for none can compare to your matchless worth. Sing to the ancient of days, your kingdom shall reign over all the earth. Sing to the ancient of days, for none can compare to your matchless worth. Sing to the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship you be exalted, O God. And your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient of days. 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 You may be seated. Holy Lord, most holy Lord, you alone are worthy of my praise. Oh, holy Lord, most holy Lord, with all of my heart I sing. Great are you, Lord, see you. 
Open the eyes, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Please open my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes, Lord. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Everybody sing, come on. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see Holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. Holy, holy, holy. Everybody stand. that same slide. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see Holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. Now let me hear just the women. Stephen, that sounded great. Thank you very much. This is a time in our worship where we uh, take communion. Now, I'm going to probably age myself a little bit here, 
But uh, in the past, in a lot of churches, there's always been a table in front, and you put the bread there, and you put the fruit of the vine there, and then we serve from uh, passing them out there. And uh, also, on some of the tables, there was engraved in the table, um, do this in remembrance of me. Now, I want to keep that over here for just a second. I was thinking about that, and then something else just popped in my mind. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the saying, when the chips are down, your true character comes out. Well, you're seeing you this country in not its finest days. And yes, you're seeing a little bit of some people's true character. But I want to go back now to that phrase, do this in remembrance of me. When he presented this, when he said this, he was preparing his disciples for when he wasn't coming. To me, to me, that is kind of a scary situation. You know, he knows what's ahead. He knows the pain, the suffering that he's about ready to go through. But what is his thoughts? What is his actions? I still got work to do. I still got preaching to do. I got souls to save. I've got to prepare these people for when I'm not here. If that's not something positive, I don't know what else is. There's something we can learn right there. When the chips are down, what was he doing? He was still thinking of things he needed to accomplish. He wasn't thinking about being hung on a cross and suffering. He was thinking about, I still got work here to do. This morning, when you participate in this communion service, remember, do this in remembrance of me. Remember Jesus and everything he's done for us. Let's pray. Dear and Father, we just come to you now, just thank you for this opportunity to remember your son. We get this opportunity to reflect on so many things he's done for us. From the time he was born to the time he left the grave. And the many examples for us to study and to learn from and apply. And we are just so thankful for that. And one of the things that he wanted us to do was do this this morning. Remember Jesus by partaking of this bread, by, re, by partaking of this cup. 
Dear Father, bless this time for us. Help us to take it and grow in our love for Jesus and for love for God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart words of life, words of hope. Give us strength. Help us go in this world where we roam. Ancient words will guide us home. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open. Oh, let the ancient words impart holy words of our faith handed down to this age. Came to us through sacrifice. Oh, heed the faithful words of Christ. Holy I want you to think this morning about some of the things that uh, 
I don't know, some of the things that we just doubt, some of the things that we're like, mm, I'm not sure about that. I mean, right now, uh, if, let's just even take, I mean, it's, it's the hot topic. It's what we all hear about. Let's just take the, the COVID virus. If you hear some medical experts or some, I don't know, news people talk about it, you're like, mm-hmm, exactly, that's exactly right. And you hear other people talk about it, say the exact opposite, you're like, mm, not sure about that. We doubt information that we get, right? I mean, what's, what's the new term that we use all the time? Fake news. And, and who, who delivers the most fake news? Well, you've already thought of three different news sources that you can hear fake news from. And maybe they're accurate and you're wrong, or maybe they all are fake news. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, think about other things. We, I mean, social media posts. There's some people who never fact check anything. And so as soon as something comes across their social media, like, ooh, repost that. You know, and they just assume that everything's accurate. Most of us, or at least many of us, are not like that. And, and so even if something comes across, we, we tend to, you know, mm, I'm not sure. Um, sports figures, politicians, uh, I don't know, celebrities. We just, we almost assume now that all those are insincere fake people, right? That if they say something, we're, we automatically assume mm, they're, probably, they're probably covering something up. They're probably not being completely accurate. I mean, even I, one of my favorite historical characters was Wyatt Earp, okay? And I liked him so much, and, and probably he became more of a favorite of mine after the movie Tombstone came out when I was in college, and I went twice to the theater to see it, and then, you know, have seen it hundreds of times since then. But anyway, uh, I, did a, I did a paper because I was so enamored with Wyatt Earp when I was in college, I did a paper on him. You know what? Not all those stories about Wyatt Earp are actually accurate. Some of those he kind of made up or embellished or inserted his name into somebody else's facts. It's not completely true. Now, a lot of the things that he did are true, and he's still one of my favorites. But, you know, not, that, not all that is completely accurate. Now, one thing that we can always just know is true and accurate every time is fishing stories, Right? When somebody goes fishing, they're like, man, it was, you know, however big that fish was. I heard a story. Oh, Devin, that story that your dad told about, and you said you saw it happen, about a giant fish eating a fish on a hook. What kind of fish was that? I forgot. That's right. Caught a trout, and then the walleye grabbed onto the trout, and, he, and that's how he caught a walleye. And they're telling me the story, and I'm sitting there going, hmm. I mean... You know, Devin's like, I was there, but also that's your dad. So maybe you're just kind of, you know, following up his story. There's all sorts of, of different sources, different stories, different things that, that we hear about, that we read about, that, we, that somebody tells us about. And, and maybe because we trust that person so much, we're like, okay, that's probably accurate. That's probably true. But our culture has become so conditioned to, to doubt any information that we come across. And sometimes rightfully so. Oftentimes, rightfully so, but the problem is that we struggle nowadays with all the technology that we have, with all the access that we have to so much information and the ability to get that information out. One of the problems that we have nowadays, I believe, is that we, we struggle to recognize and acknowledge truth when we actually see it because we assume there's something not quite accurate. There's something maybe under the surface. There's something being hidden. There's something fake about whatever it is that we're seeing or hearing or reading. And it causes us to doubt everything. And I want us to keep that in mind. I wanted, to, I wanted you to kind of think about it, just some of the things that you tend to not assume to be true, the things you tend to doubt as we answer another frequently asked question 
this morning. We started talking about this last week, the frequently asked questions that people have about Christianity, about the Bible, about God, about some of our morals and values. And some of these questions are going to, you know, that we're answering are coming from our church family. And some of them uh, are just, we just know there's a lot of people outside of the church that ask questions about the Bible and about the church. And so we're answering some of those as well. And not just on Sunday mornings. I mean, Brandon and I this week, we're going to answer a question from our church family on our Wednesday night uh, unscripted. And I invite you to get online and, and participate in that with us. But this morning, I want to ask a question that, that, that is often asked by a lot of non-Christians, but also asked by actually several people within our church family. And that question is, how can I be sure that the Bible is true? And maybe that question gets asked, you know, a couple of different ways. I mean, there's, there's some who ask, well, I mean, aren't there a lot of contradictions or a lot of mistakes in the Bible? And some people ask, well, haven't people in the Bible um, haven't they just translated it to make it sound like or what they want it to sound like or make it fit what they want it to fit? Hasn't the Bible or at least parts of it been proven false? I mean, isn't it just, it's just a literary work. It's just a bunch of stories and fables and legends anyway, right? And so there's a lot of different questions about just the accuracy and the truth of the Bible. And I'll tell you this morning, as, as we get into this, we're not going to be able to fully share all the information that, that is possible to share about the accuracy and the truthfulness and the usefulness of Scripture. But I want to address it at least a little bit this morning together as a church family. So I want to kind of give you some reasons why, um, why we can believe the Bible to be true. Why we can believe that it's accurate. We, reasons I can trust that when I, whatever I read in Scripture is accurate and true. And one of the reasons we can trust the Bible to be true is because the Bible hasn't changed. Most scholars, even, even non-Christian scholars, agree that the Bible, just viewed as an ancient document, let's not even talk about the spiritual value of it, but just viewed as an ancient document, that it is one of the most reliable ancient documents that we have copies of nowadays. That you can compare, you can even take different parts of the Old Testament and you can compare sections of those that were written 500 years apart from each other in completely different geographical areas and they are almost identical. They, and, and you can't do that with a lot of other ancient resources. There's one author that, that I was reading this week that talked about the whole process even back in Jesus' day of the scribes, the, 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 I guess the smart guys that were in charge of copying down the scriptures in the Old Testament. When you got your Bibles, you go from Genesis to Malachi. When they were copying those things down on scrolls year after year after year, that, that there would be a scribe who would be sitting there. Uh, and if you can just imagine, if I just handed you a pen and paper and said, okay, start copying down scripture. You know, you got your Bible in front of you, start writing it down. How accurate would you be? <laughs> I mean, your hand would start cramping up and your eyes would start going cross-eyed, but you keep writing all that you could, right? These scribes would sit there for hours and hours and hours a day copying down these scriptures. And the whole time they would have two other scribes standing over either shoulder watching. Watching every single thing that they wrote. And if they ever made a mistake, wrote a letter wrong, made some kind of, I don't know, mark that they shouldn't have made, whatever it was, they would point it out, they would correct it, and then all three would initial it so that whenever you were going through that scroll, you would realize, oh, here's the, I, I know for sure this is accurate. 
Does that make sense? The kind of, the kind of effort that, that men and women went to over the centuries to make sure that Scripture remained accurate and didn't change is amazing. Even in the New Testament, you start with the book of Matthew, Matthew and move forward to the end. I mean, there, there were copies and copies that were painstakingly copied as accurately as possible over the years. And it is rare to find any documents as old as the Bible that have not been changed over the years. The Quran has been changed multiple times. The Book of Mormon, stuff's been added, stuff's been deleted. There's all sorts of different books that, that people rely on to give them, you know, information for how they live their lives, for, to give them information about God and about this world. And, and a lot of those different documents, you can't depend on the accuracy of them because it's been changed over the years. The Bible has not changed. It also fits. It fits together. It makes sense. Do you remember uh, the story? I, I know we used to do this in school sometimes. I think our English teachers made us do it. Where, where you would start out, you know, a teacher would point a student and say, you know, once upon a time there was a frog in a pond and, you know, and pointed at a student. They would have to come up with a couple of lines. Anybody remember having to do this? Do they still make students do this nowadays? Okay, anyway, they would say that and then the student would have to come up with the next line. And then, and then you know, they point at somebody else and they have to come up with a couple more lines. And you get this whole story. Now, after about two or three people, did the story end up the same that you thought it was gonna end up when it, the way it started out? It's all disjointed and you'd have some kid that was like gonna take the story a whole different direction, Right? We're talking about, you know, a frog in a pond and forest and woodland creatures. And he's like, and then a race car jumped off a spaceship. And you're like, what? And like, it just goes in a completely different direction. It didn't make sense. It was disconnected. Okay. The Bible was written over a period of at least 1,500 years by at least 40 different authors. And all, the, all that time and all the, the, the time between authors and, and all those different authors over those years, all those different, all that information, it fits together. It's not disconnected. There's no part of it that, that, that doesn't make sense. It all comes together as one continuous description of God's relationship with his people. All the prophecies that were prophesied and written down hundreds of years before their fulfillment were fulfilled exactly the way they were prophesied. All the facts throughout scripture are accurately retold again and again. And that entire story, all those prophecies, all those events, all that information, it all fits. It all makes sense. It all connects. You don't find a whole lot of ancient documents that can do that. So the Bible, it hasn't changed. It fits and it's accurate. It's accurate. And there's different ways you can even just look at the accuracy of the Bible. I mean, if, if, just from an archaeological and historical perspective, I mean, the, the, the Bible is full of all sorts of different archaeological, geographical, historical facts. And the argument is made sometimes and has been made many times over the years that some of those places, some of those cities that were talked about or those nations that were talked about or in different, you know, mountains or different geographical areas that were talked about, that those weren't accurate. And because those weren't accurate, or it didn't work that way or those things didn't exist, then obviously the Bible is inaccurate. And the problem is that every single time, I shouldn't say the problem, the problem for other people is that every single time 
that we make a new geographical discovery, a new archaeological discovery in the Middle East where most of the events of the Bible took place, it always, it always supports what the Bible says. Not yet has it ever refuted it. That's a really bold statement for me to make that you can fact check. And it's true. That all these different people that are talking about, all these different places that are talking about, they're accurate. They're actually there. They actually happen that way. To this day, so far, nothing that scripture's talked about as far as historical and, and geographical places and people and events has been proven false. You can also determine its accuracy by the number of actual manuscripts that we have of the Bible. And one factor that, that, that um, scholars take into consideration when they're determining the accuracy of any ancient document, not just the Bible, is the number of copies, the number of manuscripts that we actually have of that document and the amount of time between whenever those events took place and the documents that we have. Does that make sense? For example, um, Thucydides. Thucydides is considered a great historian from ancient times. He wrote about uh, lots of different events in Greek history and Roman history. He lived in the 400s BC. And he's considered to be a very accurate historian of those times. We only have eight copies of anything that, that Thucydides wrote. And the copies that we have are from 1300 years after the events that he wrote about. Aristotle, you've heard of Aristotle. One of his works is called Poetics. We only have five copies of that. And the earliest written copy that we have was 1400 years after his death. But then you take, let's just take the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation. There are over 25,000 copies of different pieces of that part of scripture that we have. And a lot of those were written decades, decades after Jesus was on this earth. So even just the number of manuscripts we have and the amount of time that passed between when those things were written and, and, and when they actually happened lends to the accuracy of scripture. And then some people talk about the contradictions. Well, there's contradictions in the Bible, right? The Bible contradicts itself. It says this in one place and says this somewhere else. And I'm here to tell you all the, all the contradictions, all the different times that it seems like the Bible is contradicting itself can be explained with a little bit of knowledge and, and a little bit of thought. I'll give you an example. You can turn there if you want to. It's not going to be up on the screen. But in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs in chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. Verse four says, I'm going to paraphrase. Verse four, no, you know what? I'm actually going to tell you. Here's what it says. I'll read it right here. Verse four says, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him yourself. Verse five says, answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. Well, wait a second. That's a contradiction, right? Right next to each other. It's not like completely separate books. Two verses right next to each other. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Answer a fool according to his folly. It's contradiction, right? Unless you pay attention to what Solomon is trying to say here. Don't get into dumb arguments with dumb people, is what he's saying in the first one. That if you, if you try to get into an argument with somebody who doesn't make any sense and is not thinking through, what's going to end up happening? 
You start making dumb arguments yourself. You become like the person that you're arguing with. Anybody ever get into an argument with somebody and, and take a step back after about five minutes and go, how did I even get in this discussion in the first place? That's what Solomon's talking about here. Don't get into dumb arguments with dumb people. Now the next verse, answer a fool according to his folly. If someone is saying something that's inaccurate, then you need to tell them that, hey, that's, that's not actually right. So that he doesn't walk around going, look at how awesome I am and how much I know. No, you really don't because here's what the truth is. Can both of those be true? Both of those statements be true? Absolutely. Are they in contradiction to each other? Absolutely not. It's not a contradiction. There's, there's another example. In Matthew chapter 27, Judas, the man who uh, betrayed Jesus, paid money to, to uh, allow the soldiers to find Jesus and arrest him and take him, put him on, on trial and kill him. Judas is filled with guilt over this. He tries to hand the money back. The people that paid him won't take it. And he throws it down and he goes uh, running off and he does what? You can say it out loud. What does he do next? He, he, commits, he commits suicide by what? By hanging himself. Matthew 27 says that he hung himself. Go to the book of Acts in chapter 1 and verse 18. As Peter is describing how we need to re replace Judas as an, as an apostle... And he, said, he talks about Judas and says that Judas did what? Fell headlong to the ground and I don't want to get too gross, but scripture says his intestines spilled out on the ground when he hit. Okay? But I thought he hung himself. So that's a contradiction, right? Either Judas hung himself or he went running off a cliff. Which one was it? Well, can both be true? If he hung himself, depending on where he hung himself, depending on how long his body was there, as the body starts to decompose and then that rope breaks or in the process of trying to cut the body down or whatever, what's going to happen to that body? It's going to fall to the ground. It's not a contradiction. Judas hung himself and his body fell to the ground after he hung himself and his gut spilled out. It's not a contradiction, it's truth. There aren't contradictions in Scripture. There's sometimes, because of the way we choose to read it, that we find contradictions. We think they're contradictions, but if we get some thought and, and use a little bit of knowledge, they aren't contradictions at all. And the point is, the point that I'm trying to make is that th this book that was compiled over 1,500 years is amazingly accurate. It hasn't changed. It fits together. It's accurate. It, it hasn't been disproven. It's true. And, and, the, and these are just some of the ways that we can know, that we can know that the Bible is true. We don't have to guess. We don't have to, we don't have to say, well, I think it might be, or, or parts of it might be accurate. It's true. Jesus, when he's talking to his father, when he's praying to his father, he says in John chapter 17, verse 17, God, I want you to sanctify them. I want you to set my people apart by the truth. And he says this, your word is truth. It's true. It's, it's accurate. Now the question becomes, then why do people try to say that it's not? Why do people refuse to believe in the truth of scripture? We could come up with dozens of reasons, couldn't we? There's all sorts of reasons why people look at the Bible and go, nah, forget it, man. It's just a book. It's just a literary work. It's just a bunch of stories. It's just a bunch of rules and regulations that don't really mean anything. Why do people want to stick to that? Why do people have a hard time sometimes refusing 
or, or choosing to believe that Scripture is true. Let me give you a couple of reasons that I think apply to a lot of folks. One reason that people choose not to believe in the accuracy and the truth of Scripture is because of misinterpretations. And I'm not talking about the people who, who don't understand the Bible or who struggle to believe the Bible sometimes misinterpreting certain passages of Scripture. That would be understandable. That's totally understandable. I'm talking about, the, I'm talking about us Christians. Those of us who claim that we live by the information in this book, those of us who claim to be the children of God, those of us who claim to know this word and are trying to live our lives like it, we misinterpret God's message and in turn, we cause lots of other people to turn away from it. Over the centuries, Christians have misinterpreted verses in the Bible to justify wars, torture, political platforms, genocide, slavery, spousal abuse. And obviously, when we misinterpret scriptures to fit those different agendas, that's going to turn some people away. They don't want to be a part of a, of a movement that, that champions those things and has scripture to back it up, even if it is our misinterpretation of it. That's why Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. And pay attention to what he says here. Who correctly handles the word of truth. Who correctly handles it. Some of our ancestors, some of us, have incorrectly handled the word of truth. And when we have, it has turned people away from God and has turned people away from his word and not drawn people to it. We have tried to make parts of scripture say things that they don't really say. We have tried to make a few verses here and there fit our own agendas. But I want to say this, our occasional or maybe often misinterpretation of scripture does not in any way diminish the accuracy and the truth of Scripture. Does that make sense? I might misinterpret it. I might mishandle it. That doesn't mean that it's not true. And what is written is true. My, my handling of it may not be the best, but, but the Word of God is true and it's accurate. In spite of my misinterpretation. Some people, some people refuse to believe in the truth of Scripture because of faith. And what I mean by that is if I believe that this, that this Bible, that the scripture is true, that it's not just a bunch of good stories and not just a bunch of legends and, and, and analogies, but that the things that are talked about in here actually happened and that the principles that, that I read about, the, the, the values that I find in scripture are actually the things that would, would do the best to guide my life. If I believe that that's true, then there are some things that I have to accept as true based on faith, based on some things that I can't physically touch and physically see. If I believe that every word in this book is true, then that means that I have to believe in a God that I can't see with my physical eyes. I have to believe in a, in a Holy Spirit that I can't see, but I can feel. 
And the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me and lives inside of you as well. And I have to believe that there's a part of me, there's a part of me that's spiritual, that's not tangible, that is beyond flesh and blood and bones and DNA and all that stuff. I have to believe in the, not just the life, but the, the, and not just the death, but the resurrection of a Jewish man centuries ago. And not just believe in his resurrection, but believe that he got drawn back up into heaven and is reigning there now. I have to believe that there are real places called heaven and hell. I have to believe in the power of prayer. That when I speak to this deity that I can't see, that he's actually there and he actually listens and he actually answers. I have to believe that the things in this book, that the things that this book tells me are true and are real, even if I can't always touch them and see them and clearly define them. It takes some faith. It takes some faith to live the life that God calls us to live, to believe the things that God calls us in this book to believe. And there are many people who can't do that who choose not to do that. It has to be tangible. It has to be real. And I have to be able to empirically prove it. I have to have some hard data that, that shows me that this is real. But here's what God says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to be a child of God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I can, there are people who will believe in parts of scripture. They will say, yeah, it's good. It's good to love people. And it's good to be kind and compassionate. It's good to not lose your temper. It's good to be patient. All those things are good. That's not all that's in there. And when, this, when, when I read these verses where God calls me to love people and to forgive and to let go of grudges and to be compassionate and to help people who need help, that same God also calls me to trust that he is real that he exists, that he's still active in this world, that he's still active in my life. And there are some people who can't, they can't make that step. They can't take that leap. And it's easier, it's easier to say, well, this isn't true than it is to have a little bit of faith. Some people refuse to believe in the truth of scripture because of changes. Again, not changes in Scripture. Scripture hasn't changed over the centuries. I'm talking about the changes that God's Word calls us to. The changes in how we view the world around us. The changes in how we treat the people around us. The changes in the words that come out of our mouths. The changes in the mindsets and the viewpoints that we've grown um, accustomed to. The habits that we have. I mean, the Bible has definitive things to say about my money and my sex life and my addictions and my views on race and my grudges and my laziness. The Bible has definitive things to say about my marriage and about homosexuality and abortion and work and pride and friendship. And if I acknowledge, if I acknowledge that the Bible is true, that all of it is accurate and true, and, it, and if there's something about my beliefs or my lifestyle or the action I'm taking that don't line up with what I claim to be true, then there's going to have to be some changes that I'm going to have to make because the word doesn't change. I have to. 
And it's either going to be changes in my actions or changes in my mindset or both. And because I don't want to make those changes, because it'd be difficult, because it takes some effort, because it's uncomfortable, because of what it might say about people that I'm connected with, my friends or my family, then it's a whole lot easier for me to say, ah, you know what, it's probably not true than it is for me to actually make those changes. And because I'm being called to change my mindset, because I'm being called to change actions in my life, I'd rather just say it's not accurate. I'd rather just say it's not true. God talks about these people through one of his prophets in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 11. He says they refused to pay attention. He's talking about people who heard his word that he was calling out to. He says they refused to pay attention. They stubbornly turned their backs and covered their ears. I mean, the picture that Zechariah is, is painting here is little kids going, ah, I can't hear you. And that's what we do to God. That's what we do to his word. When it calls us to make changes and we don't want to make those changes, we'd rather just say, you know what? It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. It's not true. It's inaccurate. Rather than actually make the effort to be the people that God has called us to be. These are just a few of the reasons why some people refuse to believe the Bible is true. And I feel like as I've shared this morning, and I know, I know you've been sitting there for a while and I, I, I feel like I've just started to scratch the surface of this whole topic. But I want to share some things with you this morning about why people choose not to believe in Scripture and why that hurts my heart. Why I, I desperately want people to believe that this is real. I came across a, a story that I'd never heard before. Maybe some of you have. Back in 1917, there was a newspaper journalist. His name was H.L. Mencken. And he wrote an article in one of the, uh, one of the newspapers in, in New York City about the 75th anniversary of the bathtub. And the point of his article was, you know, the 75th anniversary of the invention of the bathtub came by and nobody, we didn't celebrate it. We missed it. And he goes into this whole historical documentation of how the bathtub was invented in Cincinnati in 1842. And that when it was first invented, many in the medical community uh, tried, to, tried to dismiss it and tried to say we shouldn't take baths because people might drown in them or because there's infections or it'll cause uh, heart conditions and all these different things. But people still had them in their homes anyway. And then the first president to have a bathtub put in the White House was Millard Fillmore. And once the president put a bathtub in the White House, then everybody else seemed to think that it was okay. And so then we started having more bathtubs and more homes. And now you can't find a, a home without a bathtub in it. And he wrote this entire article about the anniversary of, and the invention of the bathtub in 1842. And people believed it. And it was totally made up. Bathtubs have been around a lot longer than 1842. It was a complete hoax. But there were other newspapers that picked up on the story and reprinted it or did their own versions of it. And then it started appearing in, in like books in school and things like that. And a few years later, he even wrote another article and was like, hey, I was kidding. I can't believe how gullible you people are. And, and he did it part of, I mean, 1970, in the middle of World War I. He wanted something kind of funny and positive, you know, for people to laugh at in the middle of all the stories about war and destruction. I guess it worked. I mean, people really took it and ran with it. 
There's, there were history books all the way into the 50s and 60s that talked about Mil Miller Fillmore was not the first person to put a bathtub in the White House, by the way. The reason he used Fillmore, Fillmore, it filled the tub of water. That's why he used Fillmore. It was a hoax. And people bought it for years. And there are some people that look at this and go, it's just a hoax. It's a bunch of stories. You can trust it if you want to, but it's not real. And I, I want you to, I hope you have started to see this morning if you never knew it before. This is true. It's not a hoax. It's it's real. It's, it's not fake. It's not fairy tales. I believe with all my heart that the Bible is completely true. Every single word of it is accurate, that God Almighty inspired it, and I am called to live by it. The author of Hebrews says about Scripture in, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The author of Hebrews says this is alive and it's full of power and it cuts through everything. It cuts through anything that's fake. It cuts through anything that's insincere. It gets to what's real. It gets, it gets to the heart. It gets to my heart. It holds up a mirror and says, this is who God calls you to be. Where are you compared to that? This is what God thinks about you. Do you see yourself that way? This word of God, it cuts through all the junk and all the excuses and all the arguments and all the rationalizations and all the guilt and all the voices that, that, that we hear from all kinds of sources that cloud our minds and clog our hearts and try to convince us that we're unloved, that we're unworthy, and that nothing happens when this life is over. And this cuts through all that and says, let's be honest. Let's be real. Let's talk about who God is. Let's talk about who you are through his eyes. It's true. It's real and it's accurate. This book that tells me about a God that can send plagues and part oceans and conquer armies also tells me about a God that loves me with a passion. That wants nothing more than to be intimately connected in a relationship with me. That says all of my words are real. When I say I love you, I really do love you. When I say I can forgive you, I really can. When I say that I want so much for you to love me, I really do want you to love me. When, when I say that if you live your life the way I tell you to in here, it's going to be the most amazing, blessed life it could possibly be. I really mean that. Folks, this is true. I'm convinced of it. I hope you are too. And I hope our lives, if they don't already, will start to be a reflection of that. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the songs we've been able to sing and praise to you. Thank you for the time we've been able to spend remembering the sacrifice of your son on the cross. God, I thank you in this moment right now of all the different things we could be thanking you for, of all the different ways you bless us. God, I thank you for your word, that you 
that you loved us so much that you wanted to speak to us, that you consistently want us to hear your voice above all others. Thank you for the promises, the true promises that you give us of, of life and forgiveness and hope and peace. And God, forgive us when we doubt that. Forgive us when we doubt that you're real. Forgive us when we, when we start to listen to, to our own doubts or the doubts of other people and start to wonder if, if, this is, if this life that you've called us to is really worth it. God, help us to rely on the truth of your word. Help us to hear your word planted in our hearts. Do not let Satan convince us that your word isn't true and help people to see how much we believe in the truth of your word by the way we live our lives, by the way we treat people, by the words that we say. And God, we look forward to the day when the promise that you give us in your word that you will come to get us and take us home. We look forward to that day. We believe it to be true and we look forward to it. We pray all these things, believing that you are real and that you are really listening. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Open my heart to what you know So I can stretch, so I can grow My feelings toss me to and fro Open my heart to what you know Open my eyes to what you see to understand what I should be. My feelings get the best of me. Open my eyes to watch you see. Open my ears to watch you I can keep you very near. My feelings make it so unclear. Open my ears to watch you hear. Open my heart to watch you can stretch so I can grow. My feelings toss me to and fro. Open my heart to what you know. Open my heart to what you quick announcement before we wrap up our worship this morning. Um, not everyone in our church family knows, but, but many of you do know Jackie and Mackie Chestnut. I'm part of the, uh, we're part of the Southside uh, Church over in Rogers for a long, long time. And uh, many of you also know that Mackie's been battling cancer for a while. Uh, she's going to be coming home from the hospital tomorrow and um, is done with treatments and, and is just going to live out the last few days of her life the best that she can. So, 
family has asked that anyone, they wanted to kind of litter her yard with signs uh, for when she comes home. So uh, they're asking for anybody that wants to, that knows Mackie and Jackie and the family, to make a sign out of poster board and uh, they'll get it put up in the yard. Just a quick, we love you, we're thinking of you, we're praying for you, whatever you want to put on that on that message, feel free to do that. I'm going to be collecting those here at, at the building until three o'clock um, tomorrow afternoon. And so you can bring them uh, by the building at any time. Um, I don't think they want you to bring them on your own to the house. I can find out for sure about that, but I don't think they want a whole bunch of people showing up at the house. So it would be preferred to either bring them here or maybe even over at Southside if that's more convenient for you. Uh, but you can bring them by here anytime tomorrow um, up until about three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Okay. And uh, help us just encourage Mackie and, and encourage the family uh, during a difficult time. So I want to share that with you this morning, all right? Thank you again for being here. Tom's going to lead us in one more prayer. What a great sermon this morning, huh? That's powerful. Thank you, Marshall. And thank you for being here, our members and our guests. Uh, I know there's, we actually have several guests here today. We really, even behind the mask, we want to make sure you know uh, at Flagstone, we want you to feel welcome, we want you to feel connected, and we want to be here for you. Uh, how exciting for the young people to get their Bibles uh, today and watch them. We'll get to watch them grow. Uh, and during this time, just remember, uh, we are focused on wanting to uh, reach out, connect, and serve, and we want to be there for you. Uh, thank you for the people that uh, could live stream in today. But one thing we did answer, there's power when you get to show up in fellowship. How wonderful it was this morning. Uh, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, just thank you for being there for us. Thank you for allowing us to know that you have given us truth and you've left it for us, that we can reach out and find comfort and find, find good things and find the willingness and desire to serve you and, and to grow in you. Father, as there are people struggling right now uh, with illness, uh, you know, with uh, depression, with the unknown. Father, help help us uh, lead them to you and find strength in you. Father, we just we just thank you for for the blessings you give us. Uh, we ask that uh, everything we're doing, we do to uh, serve you the correctly and to honor you. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen. Let's everybody stand before we sing our last song. No, for all the teachers out there, and if you're watching, teachers. We wish you well tomorrow. Things are going to be different. Things are going to be interesting. But like I always tell my teachers, even on their worst day, there's some child's best hope. And so we're going to continue to be effective with the schools. I do want to give a shout-out to Christy Brown. You guys know what Christy does here at the church. Christy was appointed the principal of the virtual school for Rogers Public Schools. Well, we were thinking, you know, she, yeah. So we were, you know, I think they were thinking four, five, six hundred kids, and then it went to 700, 800, 900, 1,000, to up to 1,900 kids virtual. So Christy has been working around the clock, plus the things that she does here. So special prayers for Christy uh, this week. That's a lot of kids. You know, high schools are fully staffed with administrators, specialists, all you know, her staff is not that big. They're even going to be working today. So, so prayers for her. If you see her today, tell her you're thinking about her and wishing her well. All right, one more song. Where you go, I'll, I'll go. go. Where, Where you stay, stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. 
I will follow you, whom you love I'll love, how you serve I'll serve, if this life I lose, I will follow, all your ways are good, all your ways are sure, I will trust in you alone, higher than my sight, high above my life. I will trust in you alone, in you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you, whom you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you, yeah. I will follow you. Light into the world, light into my life. I will live for you alone. You're the one I see, knowing I will find all I need in you alone. In you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you, whom you love, I'll love, how you serve, I'll serve, if this life I lose, I will follow you, yeah, I will follow you, yeah, in you there's life everlasting, in you there's freedom for my soul. In you there's joy, unending joy. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Whom you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you, whom you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you, yeah. I will follow you, yeah. I will follow you, yeah. I will follow you. Have a blessed week, everybody.